In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And they appeared to him, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fell in fear upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, each week we come to hear from you. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, all that is from you, Lord, I pray that you uh, would uh, throw gas on that fire. Lord, that you would uh, cause much, much life to be wrought among us. Lord, maybe life for the first time. And Lord, that you would convert some here today. Lord, for others of us who have walked with you for weeks or months or years, Lord, that you would uh, give us certainty. Oh, Lord, we need this. And we know this only comes not just through the looking at your word, but also by the blessing of your spirit. And so, Lord, would your spirit come. In Christ's name, amen. Like I said, we looked at uh, Luke last week and we saw uh, what Luke was trying to do, that he wanted to give this orderly account of the life of Jesus for a certain purpose. And it was so that we might have certainty. Everything is built on the foundation of what Luke is trying to do in this whole gospel. And that's give us certainty. Certainty is the gift that Luke is hoping to engender in us. So what do you expect to come in verse 5? If that's what he's doing in the first four verses, what do you think is going to happen in verse 5? Well, what he gives us is a miracle. 
And if you're like me when you read this passage today, I was asking myself the question, how can we have certainty when you start with a miracle? Well, of course I would ask that. Of course you would ask that because we're 21st century Westerners. We believe implicitly that things can only be true if they can be proved by science, that everything that science can account for is everything that we experience as humans. But what if science doesn't account for everything? What if science can't explain things, but they explain things about an intelligent design of what can be verified? What if science is useful for explaining some natural causes, but there are also things which exist that have a supernatural cause? And maybe these are the kinds of questions you ask. And if this is you, reading these kinds of accounts of miracles like we just read reveals your uncertainty. And I understand that. And I've prayed for you this week. I've prayed that you would have certainty in a way that you've never had before. But maybe for you, as we talk about certainty, it's got nothing to do with intellectual hang-ups about miracles and their existence. Maybe for you, certainty has more to do about doubting God's goodness because of the suffering that you've experienced. Maybe, maybe tragedy struck with an unexpected loss of a loved one in your life. Maybe tragedy struck with an unforeseen diagnosis. Maybe tragedy struck because you had a sudden betrayal of someone that you trusted. Maybe your suffering's about longing for a spouse that's gone unfulfilled. And now you're doubting God's goodness. This pain is real. It begins to lodge itself in your soul to make you question God. Maybe you question his love, his willingness to use his power on your behalf. And if that's the case, miracles aren't so much hard to believe intellectually, but they're hard to believe because we just doubt if God really cares about us. So yeah, suffering might happen and cause doubt, but suffering might also happen and it opens the door for a miracle. Maybe I think it's when life gets really hard when we are suffering that we have a way of giving up to try to solve things ourselves and we become open to the unexpected. We've been backed into a corner and now it's time for some Hail Marys. Lord Jesus, I need you to pay my bills. Lord Jesus, I need you to convince my father that he needs help with his alcoholism. Lord Jesus, my baby will not go to sleep. Make this stinker go to bed. Lord Jesus, I, I don't know how I could be any sadder. Would you give me some flicker of joy? Hail Marys. We need a miracle because we're backed into a corner. And this is the position of the characters in our text today, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're enduring this really long season of being childless. Now, this is tough for those of us today, but it was really, really tough in the ancient Near East. It was really, really tough when you've been swimming in the Old Testament scriptures the way that Elizabeth and Zechariah had been. Because in the ancient Near East and in the scriptures, having children was seen as blessed universally. People didn't wonder, should we have kids or not, if they could. Not in the ancient Near East, not in, not in the Old Testament. Because you had, you had Psalms like this, Psalm 127 Psalm 127 reads, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of a reward. 
Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now this psalm was a song and it would be one that Zechariah and Elizabeth had sung many, many times. And can you imagine the pain they experienced every Sunday or every Saturday for them when they opened up the bulletin and they saw Psalm 127? And when you read verses 5 and 6, they're at the very beginning. As the reader, you begin to ask yourself, how could this be? How could they be childless? I mean, look at verses 5 and 6, the way they're described. Zechariah isn't just some random dude. He's a priest. And then you read about Elizabeth that she has priestly genes. Now, this wasn't, all, this wasn't the case for all priests. Zechariah's hit the jackpot because now he's double priested. Not all priests were double priested because not all of them had wives who were from a priestly lineage. And what's more than just their priestly lineage, you also have the way they're described morally, that they're described as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So there you have it. you got a power couple right here. I mean, they have impeccable religious heritage, and they're godly. What more could you ask? I mean, it sounds like blessing is going to be the forever state of their being. But it's not. They're childless and old. And they've got good company in the scriptures, you know. You know, you got Abraham and Sarah. You got Isaac and Rebekah. You got Rachel and Jacob. And you got Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson. All childless, all struggling with infertility. All of them have their backs against the wall. Now, just because Zechariah and Elizabeth are described as righteous and blameless, it doesn't mean that they're trite. It doesn't mean they're fake. It doesn't mean they're superficial. I think it does mean they're praying. I think they're in touch with their pain. You see it in verse 25 when Elizabeth says reproach, that, I, that, that she's experienced reproach among people. You know she's in touch with her pain. But she's also blameless and righteous. I think she's a woman of prayer. She's got some really sad days, Zechariah does too. They're sad. They want to experience the joy of holding their baby. They want the safety net of having heirs who take care of them in their old age. They, they, they want heirs to carry on the priestly legacy of their family. And here it is, they've got, the distance, they've got the distance between their reality, being childless and old, and their hope of having children. And the distance between reality and hope can be called lament. And when you cry out to God in your pain, it really is a form of prayer. It's a form of prayer called lament. And when you experience pain in your life, you can lament or you can become bitter. And bitter is when you ruin your pain without prayer. It turns in anger towards God. So these are your two options. Be bitter or lament. And your lament might not come from being childless. It might be some other kind of pinch point. And it seems like here in this passage that Elizabeth and Zechariah are dealing with their pain with faith. They've been engaging in, in lament. They've fought off bitterness 
And for you and I to fight off bitterness, the biggest thing we need to know is that there is a sovereign God behind the pain in our lives. And we also need to know that the sovereign God who's in the midst of our pain, that he's also our father. If you just have one, if you just have a sovereign God, then you don't think he's all that personal, so you won't pray. If you think he's only your father, that he's just this close, cuddly God that you can pray to, you won't pray for very long in the midst of your pain. You'll give up because you won't think he'll be able to do anything about it. You need both. And perhaps this morning, this is exactly what you need to hear in order to begin to or continue to lament. And I can promise in your lament, something's going to happen. Either you'll change or your circumstances will change. Because God will hear your prayer. And that's what we see begin to happen in verse 8. In verses 8 to 10, things seem to shift. You see what Zechariah receives. Zechariah receives a once in a lifetime experience. See, what we read about uh, 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 Zechariah is that he's of a division of priests, uh, the division called Abijah. And there's 24 divisions of priests. Each of these 24 divisions gets two weeks a year where they get to serve in the holiest place for the people of Israel, the temple. Two weeks they're there a year. The other four weeks a year, those are the holy feasts of Israel. And during the two weeks that that division gets to serve amongst the temple, there's something that happens daily, actually twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon, and it's the offering of incense. And one priest is chosen for each of those sacrifices. Zechariah is now old. The lot's been cast many times to see who'd get to offer incense during your two-week two time of service. And Zechariah's never had his name pulled. In fact, most priests never had their name pulled. That's, that's how many priests there were in the days of Zechariah. But finally, his name is pulled. He's going to get to offer incense once in a lifetime. Now, the text doesn't say it, but can you imagine the conversation when Zechariah came home and told Elizabeth, I'm going to get to do the incense offering. It's coming up. Can you imagine how she responded? I think she asked, maybe this is it. I, I, I know you're offering something on behalf of our people, but... Can you say a prayer for me and you? Can you pray for me? This is the holiest day of your life. Can you please pray that God would give us a child? And so Zechariah goes off. It's the great expectation to the best day of work he'll ever have. It'd be really hard for his expectations to be met, but let me tell you, they were. In fact, he got more than he bargained for because he saw an angel face to face. And the angel says in verse 13 that his prayer has been heard. Meaning that his elderly barren wife would bear a son and his name would be John. So not only is this the pinnacle of his professional life, this is the pinnacle of his personal life. He's going to have a boy. He's going to carry on the name. He's going to get to carry on the priestly mantle. He's going to take care of he and Elizabeth in their old age. How could it get any better? But it does. Look at all the descriptions of John in the text. It says that the boy is going to bring gladness to his parents and will bring gladness to many. It says that John will turn many children of Israel back to the Lord. It says that John's going to be filled with the spirit that he's going to go out in the power of Elijah. 
It says he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to children. That he's going to prepare a people for the Lord. This isn't just any boy. So what do you expect Zechariah to do at this juncture when the angel announces that this is what his son is going to be like? Wouldn't you expect him to go up to Gabriel and slap him a high five? Wouldn't you expect him to go to Gabriel and, and give him the greatest, the strongest hug he's ever given? Not at all. He's hesitant. He doesn't believe the words of the angel. And you see it in verse 18. Verse 18, it says, Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I mean, it sounds reasonable enough. I mean, he's got his, under, his biology down. I mean, there does come a point where reproductive organs shut down as one ages. But Zechariah's viewpoint's limited. He only is looking at things from a human point of view. He hasn't considered the supernatural. So look at all the things he's got going for him here. I mean, he's a priest for Pete's sake. He, he's offering incense once in a lifetime. His wife is godly. His wife is a priest. He's hit the jackpot. He's prayed for his son even. That's what verse 13 tells us. He's face to face with an angel. And he's got all these advantages going for him. And he doesn't believe. Sounds like me and you, doesn't it? We got a lot of things going for us. Zechariah and Elizabeth, all they got is the Old Testament. We got the Old and the New. The Holy Spirit was around for them, but didn't indwell believers at that point. Zechariah and Elizabeth had promises that Jesus would come, but we know that Jesus has come, that he has died, and he has rose again. And all of these things we got to our advantage, and you've got your own personal stories of God's faithfulness to you that we so frequently forget, yet we still underestimate God. We still don't believe him. We don't believe that he can deliver us from our depression. We don't believe that he can give us a godly spouse. We don't believe that we can be content in our jobs. We don't believe that God can help us to deal with our addictions in a healthy way. We don't believe that God can help us live wholly before him in our sexualities. So what does God do when you're pulling your Zechariah? What does God do when you're underestimating his work in your life? Look what he does to Zechariah. He doesn't smite him. He doesn't leave him the way he is and say, it's okay, I can understand, empathize. He disciplines him. God does the same with us. He wants more for you. He wants to do a work in you. And he gets your attention. And he gets your attention in the form of pain. Do you see Zechariah? He's mute. He had a story to tell. He's seen an angel who gave him the, better, the best news he's ever heard. Not just merely having a son, but having a son who'd be in the line of the prophet Elijah. who has been promised of old. And now he has to keep his mouth shut. It wasn't ideal. But it was God's form of discipline to him. And God didn't mute Zechariah because he hated him. God was just treating Zechariah like a son. He was treating Zechariah so that he might share in his holiness. Was it painful? Sure. 
Was it pleasant? No. But God was training. So when you're suffering the consequences of your sin, when you're being disciplined, God is doing his work, and he's doing the work similar to a skilled oncologist. I don't know how familiar you are with suffering, but think about what happens, what oncologists do. Oncologists, they're not afraid to cut away flesh. Painful. They're not afraid to burn out cells in your body through radiation. Painful. They're not afraid to give you poison. That's what chemotherapy is. Do they do it to be cruel? No. Now it's brutal. But the result can be lovely. I know it feels like judgment. But it's not. You need to realize, Christian, that judgment happened 2,000 years ago. It happened on a Roman cross where Jesus absorbed God's judgment for your sin, for my sin, so that now you and I can only experience his love. And what you do or don't do, whether good or bad, cannot affect your family's status. You are his child, end of story. You can doubt all you want. You can whine and moan all you want. But it won't change what he thinks about you. And Christian, he wants you to know. He wants you to have certainty that even in your discipline, he loves you. And his love is proven in history by his coming for you, by his dying for you, and by his raising for you. But look how the story ends. I got us to verse 23. I got two more to go. Look at 24 and 25. Look how it ends. It doesn't end with Zechariah's discipline. It ends with Elizabeth having a baby. Not even Zechariah's unbelief could keep Elizabeth from getting pregnant. God's come through. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they've hung on in the midst of all their pain, in the midst of their discipline, God gives them a son. Brothers and sisters, where are you in your pain? Are you praying in the midst of your pain? Have you become bitter? Well, can I implore you to lament instead? God can handle your honesty in your prayer. You can yell and scream at God all you want, but yelling and screaming at God is evidence of faith, that he exists, that he can do something. But your lack of prayer in the midst of your pain just turns to bitterness and hard-heartedness. Maybe you are praying in the midst of your pain. I can promise you God has something for you. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm sure many of you are listening to it. Because I feel like it's the only thing I ever talk about with anybody is the rise and fall of Mars Hill. If you haven't listened to it, I I don't recommend it or not recommend it. I'm just listening to it. Um, But this week I heard a really great story. And... um, it's about a church planner. Uh, uh, his name is David Nicholas. He's dead now. And, um, but he planted a church in Boca Raton, Florida, called Spanish River Presbyterian Church, PCA Church. And uh, they tell the story, uh, his story, that while he was in seminary, uh, he was married and he had uh, three sons while he was in seminary. And at the end of his seminary, his wife left him, took his three sons, and she had full custody of his three sons. He never got to see them. 
And after she left him, he still went into the ministry. Not many people wanted to have him because he was divorced, and this was the 60s. Somebody ended up hiring him. He ended up finding another, another woman who loved Jesus and loved him. But she wasn't able to have children. So not only was he not able to have children, he had them and couldn't see them. Imagine the pain. And what they talked about in this episode uh, was that he's planted hundreds and hundreds of churches. Now, he's passed, but his wife's still living. And she said uh, that it's very hard not having children, but she, he, she said that God's given us many, many children. And that's why he was able to coach the many church planters, because he was so hungry to have children. And he did, just in a different form. I'm not saying that to nullify your pain. I'm just saying that whatever your pain is, God has a way of working with you if you'll hang on and lament instead of becoming bitter. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you keep us from bitterness? Lord, I pray you would turn our bitterness uh, to lament. You would turn our lack of faith into faith. Thank you for dealing with us. In Christ's name, amen.